You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. These days, it seems like everyone and their grandmother is recommending that yoga teachers choose a niche. And the truth is, I'm one of them. I think it's a good idea. I frequently work with yoga teachers on helping them clarify who they help and how they help them. Recently, I've come to realize that part of why many yoga teachers are very resistant to the idea of choosing a niche is because they don't really understand the concept. So today, I'm going to dive deeper into the hows and whys of specialization by focusing on the most common mistakes and misunderstandings that might be preventing you from taking advantage of this powerful tool for reaching more people and making a bigger impact with your teaching. Hello, yoga teacher. The day I'm recording this is a rainy, gray fall afternoon, and I often feel kind of down or low energy on days like these, but today I'm feeling pretty fired up. I don't know if it's the bulletproof coffee that I drank or the subject matter or what, but I really want to help you understand the power of choosing a niche of putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what I do and this is who I do it for. A little background on where this comes from. As yoga grows in popularity, more and more people have decided, hey, it would be really awesome to share yoga. So with more and more people teaching, we could say the market is getting crowded. There's just a lot of people offering what we offer. So this is a bigger deal if you live in an area where yoga has been around for a while and especially an area where there's a lot of teacher trainings pumping out new teachers. I do speak to yoga teachers in rural areas who are riding a similar wave of interest and demand that teachers in more urban areas were seeing 20 years ago. Speaking of 20 years ago, you might be looking at your own teachers and saying, well, they never chose a niche, they're doing fine. But depending on how long they've been teaching, they may have chosen a niche unconsciously. In fact, one of the things that I believe about niches is that you either choose one consciously or you choose one unconsciously. And I'll get into that a bit more later. Back to your own teachers, if they've been teaching for 30 years or more, when they started teaching, yoga was really a fringe activity and their niche was people freaky enough to be interested in yoga. And because there weren't a lot of yoga teachers out there, it worked to have a really broad niche. Well, it kind of depends on what you mean by worked. Most people were not making a living teaching yoga even 30 years ago. The expectation that you can be a yoga professional, that you can teach yoga for a living, that really arose in the last 20 years with the rise of yoga teacher trainings as a revenue stream and also with an increase in what we could call yoga celebrities. Another thing that happened around that time was the proliferation of Ashtanga-based power yoga and more athletic yoga practices, which is what really broadened the demand for yoga for the general public. So when that first started happening, people who were teaching that kind of yoga 
they were really in demand because there weren't a lot of people doing it. Nowadays, you would have the opposite situation. So what worked for your teachers 20 or 30 years ago, it might not be the same thing that's going to work for you. So as we get into the five mistakes that might be preventing you from using niche in a way that's helpful, bear in mind that we're really trying to talk about and think about what works now versus what worked in the past or what should work, what would be working in an ideal world. I'm going to share all of the five mistakes right now, and then I'm going to go back and dive into each one in a little bit more detail. The first one is trying to choose a niche before you're ready. The second one is starting too broad. Third is feeling like it's a lifelong commitment instead of a work in progress. Fourth is focusing on what you teach instead of who you teach. And the fifth is choosing a niche from a place of should rather than get to. You could also call this one choosing a niche from your head instead of your heart. Unpacking that first one, choosing a niche before you're ready. If you've just started teaching and feel overwhelmed by all the skills you need to develop as a teacher, this is not the time to worry about a niche. Now, a niche might knock you upside the head, and then of course you can follow that, but I don't want you to stress about choosing a niche on top of stressing about planning your classes and marketing your classes and getting time in for your personal practice. If you just have a little seed of an idea that eventually you might want to specialize, then you'll be probably ahead of like 80% of yoga teachers out there. And you can really first figure out what you're good at, focus on building skills in the places you're not as strong, and notice what's going on around you. Notice who's responding most enthusiastically to your teaching. Which classes, students, and populations light you up? So when is it time to be a little bit more thoughtful and purposeful about choosing a niche? I believe that it's when you start feeling like the number of people who show up at your classes and events isn't reflecting the level of your teaching and your skill set. When you really believe that you have developed the capacity to help a lot more people than you're working with, that's the time to start thinking about a niche. And this leads me to the second mistake that might be torpedoing your best intentions in choosing a niche, which is starting too broad. Look, I do understand that nobody wants to leave anybody out and your niche can be too narrow for sure. If you say, I help dentists and dental assistants take care of their wrists, shoulders, and neck through yoga, and you live in a town with only two dental offices, that might be too narrow. (laughs) However, if you run one of those practices and you're happy just teaching a few classes a week, it could even actually still be perfect. If you say, I help crown princes of oil-rich countries maximize their mental output through yoga, well, that also might be too narrow and a little silly. But what if you have the personal connections to become the sole yoga instructor for one crown prince who keeps you on retainer and pays you, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars a year? That could work. 
So I guess what I'm really trying to say is that too narrow is relative and it has to be filtered through your situation, your goals, and your expectations. But don't jump to the conclusion that something's too narrow just because it's really specific, because that's actually what you're going for. When people are afraid to specialize, afraid to go too narrow, I see two main reasons. One is kind of out of kindness, like I don't want to leave anybody out. And the other is more out of fear. Like if I leave anybody out, I'm going to have less people. There's not enough. I might not make it. I'll address each one of them separately, starting with the question about excluding people, which is kind of a big topic, and I'm I'm going to try not to get lost in it. Sometimes it's helpful to start with an exaggeration that's so ridiculous, it puts the question in context. So I'll ask you, can you be the yoga teacher for the entire world? Do you even want to be? If the answer is yes, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. You really need to get busy with your plan for world domination. Most yoga teachers would say no. I can't be the right teacher for everyone because everyone's different. So starting there, we know that there's going to be some people who we are not a fit for. There's some people that you are not the right teacher for. There are lots of people that I'm not the right teacher for. Reality is that some people are going to feel excluded by you simply due to your appearance and your identity. And this is really important. So if you're multitasking, come back to me and I'm going to repeat this. Some people are going to feel excluded by you just by your appearance. Say you present, for example, with a body that is idealized in the media, and maybe you even have some talent at performing some impressive physical feats. Now, that's going to attract a lot of people to you, and we see a lot of yoga quote-unquote celebrities who fit this model. And in that case, their very appearance makes some people feel excluded. They're not consciously trying to exclude people. They might be really nice people. And it doesn't matter how nice you are, how sincere you are, even how good a teacher you are. Just your existence is going to make some people feel left out. And this is the case no matter whether your body fits that societal ideal or is the opposite. Some people will be attracted to you. Some people will not. So if we know and we acknowledge that this is the case, then choosing a niche will allow you to have more of a say, more of a conscious say in who you attract and who you repel. For example, someone who might have felt unwelcome or not very attracted just to your outside appearance might start being more open to you if they find out that what you teach is trauma-informed yoga for women who struggled with eating disorders. I'm kind of assuming that you would only choose that if it's something you'd struggled with yourself, and that identity, that common struggle, is part of what unites us and draws us together. So another way of saying this is that niching down is more about being clear about who you are inviting into your space than about excluding people. Most people don't feel excluded when they see an offering that isn't for them. They feel disinterested or possibly even interested for somebody else, like yoga for men. Oh, not for me, but it might be the perfect way to get my husband to try yoga. There are some notable exceptions to this, and these exceptions serve to shed more light on the topic because 
they tend to be a reflection of privilege more than anything else. I have definitely seen white people have their feelings hurt when they see yoga advertised as specifically for people of color. What they may not realize is that people of color have felt excluded from yoga spaces just by not seeing themselves reflected in the space or in the marketing. Most yoga teachers would say they actively welcome people of color, yet the people of color themselves very clearly state, not all of them, but many of them state they don't feel welcome, they don't feel comfortable. So where's the greater harm here? Is it unconsciously excluding already marginalized populations and maintaining the status quo? Or is it consciously welcoming them while allowing people who live with a lot more privilege and access to the bulk of yoga spaces to feel a little excluded? Personally, I'm perfectly happy to be excluded from a few classes in order for others to have healing spaces where they do feel safe. Not to get too deeply into a worthwhile topic that is still a tangent from this episode. You know I really like to keep things on track, but before I move on, I want to address one response that many people bring up when we talk about race issues in yoga, which is the idea that yoga is about transcending the differences of the material world and connecting to the deeper truth of who we are at our essence. And that might be relevant if your yoga involves living in a cave and literally trying to transcend your material body. But for me, that's not my yoga. I live in the real world. And my yoga is about the relationship between that essential self and the material world. I don't think that there's anything inherently yogic about ignoring, glossing over, or discounting the very real struggles that people find themselves in for the majority of their day and the majority of their lives. So while that essential self and that reconnection to the essential self is the ultimate goal of yoga, it's not possible to fast forward or jump beyond the healing that needs to be done in this material world. I hope that makes sense. And if you want a little bit of a deeper dive into the topic of spiritual bypassing, which is basically what we're talking about here, I will put a link to episode 58 in the show notes, which is about burnout and spiritual bypassing related to the Bhagavad Gita. Before I get completely off track, let me return to the topic of today and the second objection to getting really specific with your niche, which is the fear that you will not attract enough people. Now, the thing is, the reason for niches being important or helpful for yoga teachers these days is because there's so much noise out there. There's so many other people trying to promote their own classes and their own offerings. So if you're not in what you would consider to be a saturated market, meaning if you live in an area where yoga is pretty new and there's not competition, you could definitely get away with choosing a broader niche, choosing no niche at all. It's fine. Give it a try. If it works for you, that's perfect. That's the whole point of this exercise is to help you find students to teach. And if you already have plenty of them, then you don't need to worry about a niche. But if you want more students, you need for them to have a reason to choose you over any other yoga teacher who they will be exposed to. 
you need some way for them to identify that you are the right person to teach them yoga. And usually that means that you need to communicate to them that you get them. If you can show someone that you understand them better than any other yoga teacher that they know about, they're definitely going to be attracted to your classes and your offerings. So the more that you're struggling with reaching people, the more specific a niche you're going to want to choose so that you can hone your message. Once your message is clear and people are starting to respond to it, then you can definitely broaden out as you see what people are responding to and which people outside your original niche you're attracting anyway. You can definitely have more than one niche, but it is more powerful, I believe, to be seen as the go-to person in one area than someone who's competent in several. And I struggle with this because I am multi-passionate when it comes to teaching yoga and I'm multi-passionate when it comes to working with yoga teachers. So I would say I'm not all the way there myself. I'm constantly refining my approach to my niche. The first step to this was about three years ago when I specifically chose to stop trying to focus on multiple groups and focus just on teaching teachers. I will tell you that this was really hard for me. And I don't know if I've shared this story before. I know I have at least on some other podcasts. I started working with a business coach and she was not a yoga person at all. She was strictly business and she kind of laid it on the line for me. And she said, you have got to choose a niche. You have got to draw a line in the sand. And I did all the wiggling and the fighting and the protesting. And finally, she convinced me to try it. And it was the result of that decision to just give it a shot that has led to this podcast, that has led to everything that's been going on for me since then. So part of why it was so hard for me is because I had regular yoga students who'd been studying with me for over a decade. I did not want to abandon them. And I didn't, not in that moment, (laughs) but I did commit to not looking for new students other than yoga teachers. And the truth is that as I eased out of teaching public classes, my students were fine. (laughs) There are so many qualified yoga teachers in this area, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I feel like it was kind of hubris on my part to feel like my students needed me specifically. They really didn't. Last year, I did a project where I had a hundred conversations with yoga teachers, and that was to help me hone in on what to focus on next. During that project, the idea for the podcast was born. And since launching the podcast, that's been a really great platform for me to listen to my students, listen to the people who are paying attention. So I've been paying attention to who is most engaged and what they're saying. And even though most of my one-on-one clients are more experienced yoga teachers, they usually have at least five years of teaching experience, I noticed that the people who were most excited about the podcast were actually newer teachers with less than two years of teaching experience. So based on that, I have decided to focus on that group for a while. I'm not going to abandon my clients 
at all. I love working with them way too much and I hope that I will eventually broaden back out, but I'm still working on going narrower and I'm still experimenting. So if you're afraid of commitment, I want you to understand that just because you focus on one population for a while, it's not like marriage. When you draw a line in the sand, when you choose where to focus your energy, you put yourself in the perfect position to start getting feedback about whether or not the niche that you've been thinking about is a good fit for you. And you can't think your way into the perfect niche, which is kind of a preview of a a later mistake that we'll talk about, because a niche... I believe is really about relationship and that's not something that you can logic your way into. The next mistake is focusing on what you teach instead of who you teach. Specifically, the way I see a lot of yoga teachers getting confused around this is thinking that the style they teach is their niche. Your style might be related to your niche, but by itself, a style isn't a niche. Think of, for example, a really senior teacher, Judith Hanson Lassiter. She's the queen of restorative yoga. And it might seem at first glance that restorative is her niche. But I'm guessing that her niche is actually yoga teachers who want to teach restorative yoga. Now, I have no insider information into her business or her way of looking at things. And because she's been teaching for so long... She may have other niches and she may not even be consciously thinking about the niche conversation. And that's what I mean when I say that you need to choose a niche or a niche is going to choose you. Sometimes it works out great to have a niche choose you, but I'd rather be involved in that decision-making process. So a lot of yoga teachers love to teach many different styles of yoga, and I often hear from them that choosing a niche would force them into one approach. But the cool thing is that if you build a trusting relationship with a group of people, then they're going to follow the leader. They're going to trust you to use the right tool for the situation. So you can still teach multiple styles and have a specific population and even a specific way that you work with that population. The final mistake I'm going to talk about today is the tendency to choose a niche because it sounds good or it sounds lucrative rather than because it's what lights you up. Not all yoga teachers are going to fall into this. Many of you are incredibly good at listening to your intuition, but if you tend to be a pleaser and if you combine that with feeling pressure about doing the niche thing right, then you might try to force yourself into a hole that really doesn't fit. So thinking about your niche should make you feel excited and inspired. And if it doesn't, go back to the drawing board or even just take a break and listen. Listen to your students. Listen to the types of questions they ask. Which questions do you get joy from answering? Are there any common questions that annoy you? Which people do you feel thrilled when they show up for your class? And is there anyone who you feel just neutral about or maybe even a bit apprehensive? Pay attention to where you feel most confident, most inspired, and most alive. These are clues that will draw you towards your niche. You don't need to rush or force this. 
After all, a niche is just a mental model. It's a way of thinking about how to serve people in a way that will invite you to step into your potential as a leader. If it's not doing that, you're totally free to discard the model and try something else. All right, well, that ended up being a bit longer than I imagined it would be when I first started thinking about this episode. I hope it helped to clarify some of the misconceptions that you may have had in choosing a niche and maybe even freed up your thinking a little bit so that you can think more creatively around this topic. If you want to get my help personally around identifying or refining your niche, I'm doing a little experiment. I've opened up 10 spots in December that I'm offering at half of my normal rate to help out some teachers who would really like to get some personalized feedback but don't have the financial ability to pay the full rate. These spots are reserved specifically to talk about niche, and we might get into other topics, but niche will be definitely the main topic of conversation. I've never done a discount or a focus like this before. Like I said, it's kind of an experiment, so I don't know if I will repeat it. To see if there's any left when you listen to this episode, you can go to teachingyoga.net slash niche. I know that December is pretty far ahead, but I'm really booked up until then. And I'm thinking maybe December will be a little slow down because of the holidays. So the goal is to be able to help you in an affordable way during a time that I have a little more bandwidth. If you're a yoga teacher who feels that the value you're offering is not being matched by the demand for your classes and your offerings, I really hope that you'll click the link in your podcast player or open up a browser right here on your phone to see if our calendars can match up. I hope to see you on Zoom, which is the video conferencing software that I use, because getting to meet and work with and help podcast listeners is my absolute favorite thing. It feels like we already know each other as soon as we get on the call. And when I work with people who've listened to a lot of episodes, it's like they've already done so much work. We get to kind of really jump ahead with this mutual understanding and and this mutual place of starting out together. So if that sounds appealing to you, I hope you book a spot. And whatever's going on in your business, whatever's going on in your life, I hope that you are able to carve out time for self-care, time for your personal yoga practice. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. 